Thank you guys so much. It's great to be with you this morning. Um, wow, what a what an awesome time of worship and uh, just those words are really hitting home with me today. Anybody else? Wow, man, just incredible testimony. Man, just I just love that. So uh, you can go ahead and open your Bibles to Philemon if you want. No, yeah, it's not Philemon. Uh, it's not a it's not a Jamaican missionary uh, named Philemon. Uh, he's uh, <laughs> this is Philemon. And uh, yeah, I came to the Bible at 20, never having read a page of scripture. Uh, and I was like, all right, so who's Philemon? And they just looked at me all crazy. So uh, if you thought it was Philemon, you're in good company. I, I did too. But yeah, Philemon, we're just going to cover the intro to Philemon. And it's really cool because uh, normally when this passage is preached, they just do the whole thing. Like normally it's, it's like verses 1 to 21. I, I even listened to a few sermons as I uh, prepped for this week uh, just to hear how, how other people have presented uh, Philemon and, and just to kind of learn from some other great pastors as well. And yeah, they all, they preached it all at one time. And so this is neat. I don't know. I'm not sure uh, I've ever done the intro to a short uh, Pauline epistle, but here we go. This is it. It's the first time for me too. How many of you, just honestly, this is your first time reading Philemon? Anybody? Anybody? Yeah. It's not on a coffee cup anywhere. You're not going to find Philemon on, on, on a t-shirt or cool Christian hat. And so, you know, this is, this is kind of new for all of us. This is going to be great. Uh, just a little ministry update on us and our family. Uh, if we don't know each other, I'm Brandon Henson. I am currently the associate pastor, the brand spanking new associate pastor at Westside Baptist Church, right up the road by Emerald High School, like kind of cattywampus from it. We're, we're, we're in the South, so I can say cattywampus. Uh, cattywampus from the high school. Uh, we're right there, big, long church, ranch style, you know, kind of kind of up there, and uh, I'm so excited to be there. Some of you are like, wait, I thought you were in Decatur. I thought you were in Atlanta doing a church planning thing. Uh, did things not work out there? Um, things were going incredible in ministry. Uh, sometimes God says go, and so he said go, so we went, and uh, we, we left uh, an incredible church here, South Main. I, I did youth ministry there for almost six years and just loved it, still love my South Main family, um, and they were so supportive, and we had about 30 ministry partners. Yeah, that's right, 30 ministry partners, including you guys who prayed for us, who um, helped us in all sorts of ways. Your pastor, Robbie, supported me um, arguably more than just about anybody else. And so I'm very thankful for him and for this church and the way that y'all prayed for us. We saw God do incredible things over about 19 months uh, is when we were there. And we learned, you know, sometimes God calls you somewhere for 19 months. And then he says, hey, you're done. We thought we were going to be there for 10, 15, 20 years. That's normally what you do and you, uh, if you want to be successful in church planning, kind of end it for the long haul. You don't have a short-term mindset. So we just threw the door up and said, God, whatever you want is what we want. Um, and God clearly said stop over a period of about nine months. I basically saw ministry thriving, but my family struggling. And, you know, that's tough, right? Because we got 30 people in our living room. We just had our first launch team pre-service, like, you know, we're about to have a preview service where you kind of test the waters out and kind of practice what your service is going to be like. We had a school full of lost families just, you know, that want us to be there and tons of refugees and immigrants. It's called the International Community School. Um, it, it was just an incredible place where we were going to get to do uh, ministry, but, um, but God said, stop. Uh, and we were sure it was him and it wasn't just us and fear holding us back. And so once we knew that we were done, you know, uh, that was a tough week, uh, but once we were done, we said, God, wherever you want us, it's the same, same posture we've always had. Wherever you want us, that's where we want to be. So we threw the door open again, said, God, lead us where you have us, and he led us back to Greenwood, which is really cool because we love Greenwood, South Carolina. 
Um, honestly, just to be transparent with you, this is the last place I thought we would end back up because uh, we didn't want to just revert back to comfort, right? Because it's what we know. It's where we came from. Um, we gave some other opportunities a chance we're really excited about. I wish I could tell you about some of those. There were some really neat opportunities. Uh, but the Lord was just so clear. He just began to shut those doors in just very uh, cordial ways. You know, we were, you know, we were just uh, between the two of us, just whatever church we were communicating with, we just said, you know what? I don't think this is where God's leading. I don't think this is where God's leading. And then just a huge opportunity opened up at Westside in an incredible timing thing. I don't have time to share this morning, but just know uh, that we're excited to be back in Greenwood. I'm excited to be here with you this morning. I, that's right. I, I, I work as an associate pastor, one of the two pastors at Westside, and I'm here this morning. And so that's, that's really cool, right? And that's really good for us to see that we're all one big kingdom family. We're all one big kingdom family. Thank you. Yes, we are excited about that because, um, man, some, sometimes we just get the unnecessary competition thing. And I, I think that ship has sailed. I mean, I, I really do. In this generation, 21st century, I think the church is getting more and more on board with exactly where Paul was in Philemon this morning. So let's go there. Philemon, I gave you my ministry update. And I just want to say one more time, thank you for praying for us. And thank you for being so supportive. We're pumped to be back. All right, Philemon, here we go. A quick overview. Because many of you, it's your first time, so we're just going to breeze through it real quick. Who is Philemon? Philemon is a wealthy Roman citizen, um, and he was from Colossae. And what church was in Colossae? Yeah, the Colossian church. Good job. Yeah, it's where y'all, and y'all just preach through that, right? Yeah, so awesome. So this is very, this is very fitting. It's almost like someone planned this to come out right after that. Yeah, so Philemon's from Colossae. He likely met Paul during his mission, though, in Ephesus. Okay, so Paul went to Ephesus. He planted a church there. And actually, uh, Philemon came to Christ during that ministry. So he gave his life to Jesus during that run. And, uh, and Paul's friend, fellow minister, Epaphras, okay, this is at the very, uh, you, know, you kind of see his name pop up in Philemon. Um, you know, so he basically, they start a house church, okay, and th this is the Colossian church, and Philemon becomes a leader of that house church, okay, so he's not like an elder, but he is very involved in the ministry. You could say that he was like a, a key member of the launch team of the Colossian church, okay, so this is kind of who he is, uh, but Philemon also owned slaves, like a lot of wealthy Roman citizens did back then, and I'm just going to go ahead and beat us to the punch a little bit here. Um, Philemon is not a book condoning slavery. This is like one of the biggest objections to Philemon that, that there is. Oh, see, see, slavery in the Bible. Paul never says, you know, thou shalt stop that. Don't do that. No, slavery was a reality in this. It was an ugly reality. It looked a lot different than it did in 17th and 18th century. Slavery did in the U.S., um, but nonetheless was wrong. And, um, and that's how God feels about it. So uh, maybe we can preach on that another time. But just to go ahead and ward that off, um, just because we discuss slavery when we preach sometimes doesn't mean that we uh, ever condone it or that God ever condoned it. Okay. So, uh, but he owned slaves. And one of those slaves' name was Onesimus. Everybody say Onesimus. Yes. When I first came to the Bible, that 20-year-old that 20, 20 sitting down with the Bible, I thought it was one Simus. I, I was like, one Simus, man, what an awesome name. Like, no, it's Onesimus. I mean, I just got laughed at all the time. I, I mispronounce every name in the Bible. It's great. Um, it's, a, it's a skill I have. So uh, Onesimus wronged Philemon. Guess what he did? He stole from him. Everybody say, oh, man, why, why are you stealing? You know, but, but he did. He ran away, so he bails because he's scared. He's going to get in trouble. Um, 
he meets Paul during his time as a fugitive on the run, and guess what happens to him? He gets saved. It's awesome. He gets saved, gets life to Christ, then he gets plugged into ministry. That's really cool. But now he's kind of on rocky terms with Philemon, if you can imagine. And so Paul writes this letter asking Philemon to do two things. And Pastor Robbie's going to talk more about them next week. One, to forgive Onesimus. Two, to embrace him, not as a slave returning in that kind of relationship, but as a brother in Christ and not as property, but as a person. Amen. He's going to embrace him. He's going to forgive him. He's going to embrace him. And so this week, I'm going to walk us through the intro and walk us through uh, four encouragements that I think we can glean from this intro this morning. Four, really, really their attitudes also, though, because you guys know that attitude leads to action, right? Like whatever your attitude is, whatever your mindset is, right thinking leads to right doing. And so if we can apprehend these four encouragements this morning, and they all have verbs at the beginning, so they all incite action. These encouragements uh, that are communicated in the first seven verses, so easy to miss as we read through the intro. Typically what we do when we get to the intro of any Pauline letter, we're like, okay, yeah, 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 hey, what's up? Hope y'all are doing well, salutations, whatever. Let me get to the meat of the passage, and then we go down to like verse eight. We're like, okay, accordingly, all right, here we go. But we've missed so much in the first seven verses, so I'm actually glad we split it up and, uh, and that I get to bring this to you guys this morning. So let's dive right in. If you're taking notes with us, hope you are. Points are gonna come up on the screen. Number one, the first encouragement that we can glean from the intro to Philemon is to remember, because we forget, right? To remember that it's all about the kingdom. Let's try it again. Your turn. Remember, it's all about the it's all about the kingdom. Absolutely. Verses one to three. Let's read it. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister. And Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Remember that church we talked about a while ago? The church in his house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's mindset was kingdom. Listen to what he says. Timothy, my brother, little bro Timothy, right? He's got some letters written to him in the New Testament. What does he say about Philemon? Shout it out. He calls him what? Beloved fellow worker. Arch, uh, sorry, Aphia, which was likely his wife, a sister in Christ. And then likely Philemon's son, Archippus, who was also involved and plugged in in ministry. Our fellow what? Soldier, man. That's, that's some close language. We got any military in the house? Any, any military servicemen? Anybody? Anybody? Okay, well, you guys aren't in the military, but here we go. Can you guys imagine the close bond between soldiers? Have you ever seen it before? You get some military dudes together. There's a close brotherhood. So this is that same feeling. And then the church. Paul never fails to mention the church. One word, family. Paul saw his brothers and sisters in the kingdom of God as close family. I see you guys as family. That's how I feel as I show up here this morning. I see familiar faces. I see new faces. But we are family. And you know, Paul never starts a letter like this. This is quite unique. He says, Paul, a prisoner in Christ Jesus. Normally, he says, Paul, an apostle, because guess what he's got? He's got to establish some cred. He's got to establish some cred because there's some kind of heresy going on, like in which church that y'all just studied? The Colossian church, yeah, and he's like, look, first of all, I'm an apostle, all right? Some of y'all think I'm whack, but I'm not. 
I'm actually an apostle. I'm not an apostle because I call myself an apostle. I'm an apostle because Jesus knocked me off my horse, changed my life, and told me I was going to be an instrument of grace and an apostle, which is a good way to become an apostle, by the way. Uh, uh, you know, he's like, I'm an apostle because Jesus called me an apostle. But he says here, I'm a prisoner. I'm a doulos in the, in the Greek. I'm a doulos. I'm a prisoner for Christ Jesus. And, you know, this isn't a, this kind of flies in the face of our American culture today, doesn't it? You know, be a prisoner. How many of your Instagrams say, you know, first thing on there in the bio, you know, prisoner for Jesus? <laughs> People are like, what? Prisoner. That sounds like you're in chains. That sounds like you're not having fun. That sounds like you're oppressed. That sounds like a bad place to be. But no, being a prisoner for Jesus is quite an anomaly. It's actually you're never more free than when we have aligned ourselves and, sub- and, and submitted underneath Christ's lordship and said, no, Jesus, you have rule and reign. Your spirit has rule and reign over every thought, every action of my life. But let's not uh, miss the subtle wisdom in Paul's writing. This is intentional on Paul's part to identify with weak Onesimus as a humble prisoner. He's like, look, I'm in the same, I mean, I'm, a, I'm also a, you know, I'm also a prisoner, but I am, but I am, and actually Paul's literally on house arrest as he's writing this. So this has some root in what's really going on, but he means something so much deeper. He's like, man, I'm chained to Jesus and I love it. I'm compelled by the spirit to do what only God says. Do you view yourself as a prisoner of Jesus? Do you feel compelled to do what he says? Or, or do we come to the Bible sometimes with an attitude of, well, no, nah, that really doesn't fit my personality. You ever hear that one? I felt that before. I'm like, that's, that's really not my norm. And God's like, I know. I want to change you. I want to change your life. And he, and he has changed me. Do you view yourself as a prisoner of Jesus? If we're prisoners of Christ, doesn't that weaken us? No, it actually does the opposite. It empowers us. We're, we're the empowered kind of servants. And so in Philemon, we have a family mindset. And we need to remember, as the kingdom, that it is all about family. It is not about just my individual journey. Okay? It is not just me, Jesus, and my Bible. We'll just meet in my closet every day. And by the way, quiet times are great but it's not just about our individual relationship with Christ. Yes, he is my Lord and Savior. He is your Lord and Savior if, if indeed you've given your life to him. But as the church, we can really experience the power, as we're going to talk about, of our walk with Jesus as we walk alongside other people. Let's look at the second encouragement. Let's go ahead and go there. See the gold in others, verses 4 and 5. We need to see the gold and others. Let's take a look at these two verses. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. Paul genuinely views Philemon as an incredible man of God. He really did. This is not, this is not Paul buttering him up, because spoiler alert, later on in the letter, he's going to get right to it and be like, hey, you need to forgive Onesimus. I'm going to ask you to do that. Based on who you are in Christ, based on all, and this is kind of what he's doing. He's, he's reminding Philemon of who he is in Jesus. And it's like, bro, because this is you, I know you'll do this. Because this is you, I know you. And isn't that so much better And just going, look, man, you need to get your junk together and just do this thing. 
Now, there's a time and place for that sometimes, <laughs> brother to brother, you know, that tough love. But, like, Paul does it in such an intentional, masterful way. He just, he's building him up, and he's not buttering him up. Let's, let's not miss that. He's not buttering him up. He's building him up. Because what is buttering up when we do that? It's called flattery. It's a sin. It's when you just say good stuff about other people to do what? To gain something from them. To take advantage. You know, it's, it's, it's a selfish ulterior motive. But building someone up recognizes the good in them, calls out what the Spirit of God is doing in them, and it affirms them and builds them up and allows them to glorify God even more. Yes. It's a great thing. I would encourage all of us to shower each other with encouragement, not forced encouragement, but an encouragement that literally just overflows from what the Spirit's doing inside of you. Paul knew how to see the gold in others. What's the first thing we tend to see in others? Do you tend to see the gold or do you tend to see the coal? Easy to see the coal, isn't it? Sometimes we go, there's gold in there, you know, especially on social media, right? You know, sometimes that brings out the coal in our life. And, yeah, we got to sift through. Um, let's take a look at this picture right here. You know, this is, um, this, this is what gold mining looks like right here. All right, this is it. I'm not related to these guys. I don't know who they are. But, but this is a guy mining for gold. And I'll tell you something, you know, I've never personally done this, but I actually hopped on a gold mining forum. It was kind of interesting. Like, they, like, these forums exist on the internets. Uh, they really do. It was like so interesting. Anyway, uh, ten, 10 minutes of my life, I'll never get back. But, um, but I was reading through this forum, and I, I learned some things from real people, I'm assuming, who <laughs> mine for gold. Uh, they, again, these are authoritative gold mining sources. Um, in order to find and extract gold, it took w- this right here. It took initiative, okay? You, you don't end up there by accident with your gold mining hat on, with your pan, wearing long clothes. It's probably not cool there. It's probably really hot, like in the, you know, Colorado River or something. And, you know, it takes initiative. And, guys, it takes initiative to see the gold in others, doesn't it? It takes that mindset of just going, you know what? I know there's cold because we're all sinners. We've all fallen short of God's glorious standard, but you know what? There's gold in there somewhere. And especially if we belong to Christ, and that's the context of this, of this uh, letter right here. If someone belongs to Christ, there, there is gold, and God's working on all of us. We're all under construction. We've all been redeemed. Even though we still sin, he's still changing us. That whole sanctification process, right? It doesn't happen overnight, but it's going on. And we can be patient with others. We can see the gold. And when we see the gold, we need to say the gold. We see the gold, we need to say the gold. People don't always know what the gold is inside of them. They go, man, I'm just sucking it up. Anybody, anybody else feel like that some days? You just feel like you're just sucking it up? I do. I, I feel like some days, I just, like yesterday, I, I feel like I just blew it. Like this is yesterday. This is not like one time in my life and now everything's just hunched. No, yesterday. I was like, man, I'm just sucking it up. But you know who called out the gold in me and I'm thankful for? My wife. I'm married to a beautiful lady that calls out the gold in me when I need to hear it. Uh, that's a good place to be. Not only takes initiative, it takes effort. Not easy. I learned through these gold mining forums on, on the Internet that, um, <laughs> did I mention it was on the Internet? Uh, that, you know, as these people sit, I mean, it's hard work. You don't see gold at first. You got to sift through all this other junk. You got rocks and this and that and snakes are everywhere. And, you know, you got, I mean, it's hard. And again, do we have healthy filters in our life to hold on to the good and place aside the bad? 
to help us find their gold in others. And the third thing is it takes time. It takes time to see the best in others. Time to slow down enough to get to know someone. To get to know someone well enough to be able to encourage them. And then time to meet with them. And again, you may, go, you may be going, man, that's, that's just not my natural thing. Okay. It becomes your natural thing when we practice. Whatever we practice is what we become good at. So let's make a practice of calling out the golden others. Man, if you just need to text someone, if it's too awkward to be face-to-face, man, just start with something. Post on their wall, comment on their status. Man, I see the golden, I see this. I want to affirm that. And let's encourage one another. Philemon's a beloved fellow worker. Look in the text. Beloved fellow worker. But as we continue to go down, he's full of a couple things. He's full of love and faith in Jesus. This is the great commandment. He's also full of something else. He not only has an awesome relationship with Jesus, but he also has this um, love for people and this faith for people. He actually says love and faith for Jesus and the church. Well, how can you have faith in people? I thought faith was in Jesus. This, this, this is not a salvation faith. But this is the kind of faith that leads to faithfulness. He's faithful to others. He's loyal. He trusts other people. Now, should we trust everyone? No, that's a bad way to live your life. <laughs> Don't trust everyone, all right? But we need to open ourselves to trust people, especially our brothers and sisters in Christ. Are you going to get let down if you decide to trust someone? Yes, because we're all under construction. We're all sinners. We all mess up. You're vulnerable when you decide to trust, which is why, mo- which is why some of us that are a little more untrusting, we go, no, no thanks, I've been hurt. You know who else was hurt? Jesus. He opened himself up. If we're going to follow him, we've got to open ourselves up as well. This agapo, this love, as we say here, yes, it's agape and some, it's agapo here. And agapo is still that agape kind of love. It's the love of will and choice. This is not just the warm fuzzies, ladies and gentlemen. This is not just the feeling you get during that Nicholas Sparks movie, ladies. And guys, I, I know there are some Nicholas Sparks guys in here. You can't hide from me. I see you right now. I might have cried during the notebook. Anyway, um, the love of will and choice or self-sacrifice and humility. That's what MacArthur says is re- really captures what Paul means here with his Greek word love. And yeah, love's one of the fruits of, of, of the Spirit in Galatians 5. You know, um, you, you know, love's a result of a relationship with Jesus. It's a result. The more we're walking with Jesus, the more loving we're going to be. A tree doesn't muster fruit or strain for fruit, but it bears it when it's properly rooted, properly nourished. This love is the fruit, results of genuine salvation in Christ. But let me give you a third, a third encouragement this morning. Write this down. A desire to do its best for fellow believers. A desire to do its best, or sorry, a desire for what is best. For fellow believers. The other, the, the other thing's good too, but that's not what that says. Desire what is best for fellow believers. Yeah, do you desire what's best for people? Do you think, it, God, I, I just pray that you would do what's best for them. And maybe you begin to even see a hint of that. God, I just really feel like that. Like they just have a gift for that. Lord, would you just fan to flame that? Here's what Paul says in verse 6. Take a look at it. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. Man, that's a loaded statement. And this is actually one of the hardest 
like a little uh, Greek trivia for you here. This is, this is the, one of the hardest uh, New Testament verses to translate into English. It's one of the hardest. And I had fun studying it uh, to kind of help, um, you know, help just simplify it this morning. And while there's a lot of different opinions and a lot of different uh, things, I mean, we, we can arrive at some great translations of this passage. And this is one of them, the sharing of our faith. But really that word for sharing, do you know what the Greek word is for that? It's koinonia. Koinonia, and it's that word fellowship that we use a lot in the church. Now, we think fellowship, we think what? Food, yes. Food, pantry shop, fried chicken. Come on now. Cookouts. If we're going to do fellowship, there, there's going to be a grill somewhere. going to be some good food. We might be like swimming somewhere, you know, just having fun, maybe going to Pizza Hut. I don't know, just whatever. Fellowship. And some of that's true. You know, that can be fellowship. But if, fellowship, if all fellowship is is food to us, then we've missed it. Fellowship is more just hanging out and being friends. This word koinonia, if we're actually going to define it as it's defined, it's a full mutual partnership. That sounds a little more relational, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Full mutual partnership. Kind of like this. Let's throw up that picture there of the uh, ocean there. You guys got that one? I think I put it up for the, yeah. That's right here. This is a little bit of koinonia. Now what, now, what movie is this a snapshot from? Finding Nemo, yeah, yeah, yeah. You got Nemo, you got the anemone, anemone, right? You got, the, you got the anemone and the clownfish. They're symbiotic. You guys learned this in science class, right? Yeah, symbiotic relationship. But this really doesn't even cover it because it's only when the fish is in the, you know, it's, it's only at a certain time. But Koinonia uh, zooms out, right? It zooms out beyond that. And it says, no, 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 all the time. Full mutual partnership. Here's the phrase I want you to write down, the sharing of all life. It's a great way to define fellowship, the sharing of all life. Believer in Christ, are you ready to open up your life to others in that way? The sharing of all your life. Not all your junk. That's not what I'm talking about. You don't, you don't need to back up the dump truck and just unload it on everybody that walks by you in the coffee shop. Okay? Someone needs to know all that stuff, but not everybody. little bonus encouragement this morning. But um, no, it happens. Um, a full mutual partnership, the sharing of all life. So the idea is that I pray the way that you partner with other believers, this is what Paul's essentially saying, I pray that the way you partner with other believers, you love them, you share with them and everything, I pray that it will be what? What does the text say? Look at it again. Effective. Effective. Energes is the Greek word. It, it's where we get our word energy from, power. So not just that it works, but that it's powerful, that it does something. Because what does true fellowship do? It does something. It's not just getting together and eating burgers. It's getting together so that we can energize one another. There's power in biblical fellowship. So God's intent for koinonia, the sharing of all lives, that it would be powerful. So not only that our partnership would become effective, but that our knowledge of the fruit of the Spirit would increase. Look, he says, he says here that the sharing of faith may become effective for the full knowledge. For the full knowledge. Epinosis is that Greek word. It means, it means that it, it's, not, it's not just head knowledge, but this is all around, epi, all around knowledge. This is, this is a deep, rich, full experiential knowledge. How many of you have ever been skiing in the room? Could you read a book on skiing and then just like go up there and do it? No, it takes epinosis to see that happen. You're going to figure out real quick it's not as easy as it looks. I did that with snowboarding because I skateboarded growing up. And I said, well, it's basically the same thing. It's just on snow. And it's not the same thing at all. And I spent about five hours on my rear and had bruises everywhere. 
epinosis. It's a deep, rich, full experiential knowledge. And this is a prayer that what you know in your head would find deep roots in your heart. So he tells Philemon, he says, hey, look, I know you love Jesus. I know you love others. And I'm praying right now that this koinonia that you have, this partnership, that it's going to lead you to be powerful in your ministry and your encouragement to others and that you would know the truth so much you take it and it finds roots deep in your heart. See, he's telling him all this, remember, because he's going to make a request. He's, he, he's going to cash in this, this request later. And he's, remember, he's not buttering him up. He's building him up. He's saying, look, because this is who you are, I know you'll do the right thing. If he's truly discovered forgiveness in Christ, if Philemon's truly discovered forgiveness in Christ, he should have no problem forgiving Onesimus. And then, for the sake of Christ, it's all for Jesus. It's all for Jesus. Everything we do as the kingdom, we see the gold in others. When we desire what is best for others in an honest place, and not so what we can get out of it, but what's good for them, it's all for Jesus. This flies in the face of our hyper-individualized Christian culture that says, I'm walking with Jesus so I can better myself. It's a self-improvement Christianity. Is it a wrong thing to want to benefit yourself? No. I mean, to, sorry, better yourself? No. Improvement's a great thing. But if that is the chief end of our Christianity, we've missed it. The chief end of everything that we do is God's glory. It is all about Jesus. It is all for the sake of Christ, or as what, what this literally uh, renders down to is unto Christ. It is unto Christ. Everything in my life is unto Christ. It is not just so I can get better. And you know what's going to happen as you do everything unto Christ, and as you allow the Spirit of God just to rule and reign in your life? You're, you're going to get better. It's a byproduct. It's not the main objective. Our mission is to glorify God. The last encouragement, to trust the results of love. Trust the results of love. Look at verse 7 as we wrap up. For I've derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. They've been refreshed. Philemon was the kind of Christian who refreshed people. He was refreshing. He might not have been the most popular guy, but when people were around him, they experienced refreshment. Don't you want to be the kind of follower of Jesus? Christians in the room, talking to you, don't, don't you want to be the kind of follower of Jesus when someone's around you, they feel refreshed? Do we know people sometimes that walk in the room and they do the opposite and they drain the room? Yes. We pray for them. We don't have hatred in our heart against them. We don't, don't fall prey to any of that. We pray that they would find that sweet spot of being refreshing to others. We all have experienced that draining, and I say that because we know, having experienced that, that we don't want to be that to someone else. We want to be refreshing. So what's the harvest of Philemon's love? What's the result? The spread of joy and comfort. And remember, joy is not bound to circumstance. Joy is despite the circumstance. And the refreshing result is this. This is where we'll end. The refreshing result is literally that word refreshing in the Greek means to give rest. Everybody say rest. How many of you like sleeping in? Anybody? Yeah. This specific word means rest after much work has been done. You guys know that sweet rest after you've been busting your tail all day. And you get home and your bottom first meets that couch you know what I'm talking about, and your legs are like, please sit down. And you go, oh, man, 
You guys know what I'm talking about, right? And then we need, yeah, all right, now we're, now we're, now we're getting hype in here, good. Um, rest, this is good, but this is uh, deeper than just plopping on the couch at the end of the day and Netflix and whatever. To give rest after a battle. It's like an army that's been at war, and then there's rest. The battle's over. The war's won. There's peace. And this word for rest at the end of uh, at the end of the intro here in verse seven, this word for refresh that we can uh, define as, as as a restful word. This is the word that Jesus used. It's the same word Jesus uses over here in Matthew, when he says, "Come, all you who are weary, if you're tired, if you're heavy laden." Translation that just means really, really, really tired. <laughs> if you're heavy laden, I will give you rest. Sleep? No. This is a deep soul rest. This is the rest that I was so hungry for when I was lost at 19, trying to work my way to heaven. And I would come to God and try to do things that would make him love me more, missing the point the whole entire time that God, through his son, wanted to give me rest. I just open this up this morning and just ask, is there anybody tired this morning spiritually? You're here and you go, man, if I'm honest this morning, Brandon, I don't. I don't have a relationship with God. Can I tell you something? I'm glad you're here because I think you're here for a purpose. In fact, I know you are because the Bible says so. Because nothing happens by accident. And that he began, who began a good work in you will bring it to completion to the day of Christ Jesus. The reason why you're here this morning is because you need to know that there's rest in Jesus. And let me just tell you something from my testimony. That song we sang earlier has made me shout so loud because I've, I've experienced that. And I want you to experience that. The rest that's in Jesus we come to Jesus not with any work that we've done. We just say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. I'm messed up. I'm broken. And I believe that you can make me whole. And we trust him in that. And what he did on the cross for us, the Bible says, Jesus came, walked on the earth, lived the perfect life that none of us could live, was perfect for us. He aced the test for us. Some, some, some of you in the room think that God's going to give you some test at, at the end time or whenever you meet face to face with him, if you don't ace it then you're not getting into heaven. There's still this kind of up in the air thing. No, no, no. Jesus aced the test. Jesus died on the cross. He said, it is finished, as we sang earlier. That means that he completed the work. And if you'll trust in Jesus' work this morning, trust in Jesus is two things, the Lord of your life and the Savior of your life. He's your boss and king, and he's the one in whom you trust that God really does forgive your sin, past, present, and future. You can have that peace this morning. You can have that rest. If you'd like to know Jesus in that way, will you just do something? There's that care room right outside the door here. And I would invite you to go there because there's people there that want to pray with you, that will lead you to the Lord Jesus this morning, that will pray with you, and you can receive Christ this morning. Or if you'd rather come and talk to me at some point, I'd be more than happy to do that. I'd be more than happy to pray with you. But Jesus says, I will give you rest. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. And this is Jesus' invitation to everyone in the room. And while we're all sinners, Christ died for us and offered us the free gift of salvation. Accept him as the Lord and Savior of our life. But if you know Jesus this morning, this is your time to respond. Everyone has a response to make this morning. Maybe your response is, Lord, I'm going to take these encouragements and I'm going to run with them. I'm going to give you everything I have. And since these things are important in my life, I'm going to love others like there's no tomorrow. I'm going to have love and faith for Jesus and others. Can we pray together? Lord God, for this church, for everybody in this room, I thank you that they're here this morning. I thank you for the work that you've done through your word. This is your service. 
Your spirit rules and reigns here. No human, only the power of the one true living God. And Lord, I pray that you would lead someone to yourself this morning, Lord, that needs to repent and believe, God. I pray that you would move their feet to respond this morning. Help them go to that care area right, out, right outside the door to the right. Or Lord, help them find someone that they can pray with and talk with about this. And Lord, help believers in the room respond well to that these attitudes that we've talked about this morning, Lord, these encouragements would lead to powerful action, that we would become effective by the sharing of our faith. In Jesus' name we pray.